Listener Production. So here we are then, episode one of Crime Insiders Forensics. Just so you all know, given us the first time, my name's Catherine Fox. I'm a crime author, a screenwriter, and a former general practitioner based in Sydney. I'm just really excited to be the host of this show. This is a dream come true. And I'm so excited to start releasing episodes every week. You weren't there at the scene. You didn't see it happen. So you're looking at the pattern of blood, the size and the shape and the distribution, things like that. Blood spatter. What a fascinating topic. It's one which has been at the centre of CSI and forensic TV shows for years. But how does it actually work? Are forensic experts really looking at blood patterns, measuring them and associating them with particular methods of attacks and dynamics of an attack? Well, to find out, I sat down with Professor Adrian Lineker, a forensic practitioner based in Adelaide whose expertise is in body fluid. Yes, body fluid. DNA typing, which we can go into in another episode. But most importantly, blood spatter analysis. One of the things I find really interesting is medical, police, anyone who deals with the negative side of life always remembers their first case and the very first thing they were called to. Do you remember yours and what was it? Oh, all too well, yes. And it was in the, um, it was about a two-hour drive out of Glasgow, out into um, sort of the hillside. And someone had had their head shot off. Now, if you've not dealt with this before, this was my first scene, right? Because when I got there, it was quite confronting. Now, I hope this is all right for a podcast, because when you're looking at this, you're looking at cerebral spinal fluid up the wall. Now, if you've never dealt with this before, as I hadn't, it is incredibly confronting. It is one of these bizarre things. Now, you either sink or swim with this one. And I could tell when I got there that the, um, that the police realised this is my first one. You know, go on, do your, dip, do your bit. <laughs> and so it was quite something. But I think um, I managed to get through it. I will always remember that case being my first one. And there was lots of other bits of blood around the scene for me to work on. Um, and it was a question whether, in fact, someone had broken into the premise and shot them or, in effect, the other person in the house had shot the, shot the person. And yes, you could... I, I was able to put together a, a, a scenario and point out, well, actually, this, there was no one broke into this place. I can't see any evidence of that. Right? And it all works in terms of how someone, the position of that person when they were shot. And so, yes, that was my first case. And what made you do a second case? Um, I just thought someone has to do this. <laughs> and um, I was all right with it. The sights never actually phased me. The smells? I would, yeah, the smell is quite something. I think that takes a lot of getting over. It really does. Um, and it's difficult to get rid of it. But the sights, of course, that sticks in your memory. Now, when I did all of this stuff back in Glasgow, I never got really any um, post-traumatic stress therapy. It's just something you did. I know now you people do. We're living in much better times, right? And now that is the case. People get some wellness and mental help here. But yes, and that was my introduction. And, you know, I've, I've dealt with many others since then. 
Could you please tell us how did you get into blood spatter analysis to begin with? Well, my first degree was actually zoology, and I had no idea when I was doing my degree that I'd end up being a crime scene analyst um, and working in forensic science. But um, the opportunity opened to me in 1994 when I moved into forensic science at Strathclyde University. And uh, within a couple of years, I was fully trained up to start to go to crime scenes. Really, it was for collecting samples for DNA analysis. But then I quickly realized that DNA is really good at answering one question. Whose is this? The other questions are, how did it get there? Now, blood pattern is how you would examine you know, patterns of blood to determine, most likely, how did that happen? Can you please walk us through when there's a crime scene and you're seeing there is evidence of blood spatter, blood loss, when are you called and what happens when you first arrive on the scene? Well, I mean, obviously I dealt with major cases. In Glasgow, unfortunately, there is a, it's a crime capital of Europe. We do come across quite a lot of um, uh, potential murders. Now, I must stress, before you go to a scene, you do not know if a crime has been committed. So often we call it crime scene investigation. That's for the TV programme and all the rest of it. Well, it's a misnomer. You don't know a crime's been committed until you're there. And your first job is to work out whether a crime actually has been committed. Now, often if there's large amounts of blood, that's a clue. So you could start to go, start to think, okay, something has happened here. Something actually has happened to cause loss of blood. You get some information. Now, normally at a crime scene, you're briefed by somebody at the perimeter of a scene, giving you some background information. I must say, we really do not want too much information because it's so easy to bias and be told, this is what we think happened, can you see if it works? Which is the wrong way round. Which is you're telling a story and then trying to confirm it with absolutely. your evidence. Absolutely, absolutely. And mm. that is so easy to do. We're all humans. So we're all told about something and, okay, given that story, can I see if the evidence fits? That's exactly the wrong way round. And it's how we obviously have to think about it at a crime scene. Given what I'm looking at, how can I account for it? When you're looking at spray patterns, you can understand the basic physics behind it. So if you understand the basic physics, you can start to think about sizes of, a sp of the blood. And you talk about what you said, spatter. And I love blood pattern in terms of a terminology because it's sort of onomaopoeic almost, spatter. You can understand what that is. Now, it's a nicety. I've got to say right now is that when I'm talking quite fluidly about blood pattern, I have to make clear somebody suffered. That's something you always have to bear in mind. But I dealt with everything as an academic exercise when I was doing this work. To my mind, I was just looking at the physics behind what I'm looking at. What force was applied? When you're also looking at spatter patterns, you can look at where they are on a, on a wall or a floor or a surface. And you can look at multiple of these. Now, unfortunately, often in Glasgow, I was looking at multiple of these. So you can start to work out, did they all happen at roughly the same place? Are you differentiating between crime scenes in which there's a survivor still there or unconscious or needing medical attention or a body versus whomever's been removed. Okay, in my experience always the, the, the body's normally gone, right? Or if they have injuries, the most important thing is, is preserving life. 
so paramedics, they, they're not interested in preserving crime scenes, mm. not surprisingly. That is not their role. And often, actually, things move, right? So, I mean, I did see a scene not that long ago here in, in South Australia, and there were things on the floor, like bits of clothing. And you have to realize, actually, they almost certainly have moved. They were probably not in that position when they fell on the ground. Because paramedics came in, they might have thrown things around, etc., etc. Walls and major bits of furniture don't move. Anytime you go into a scene, you've got the potential to compromise it. And transfer right? your evidence to the yeah, crime scene. Exactly. Contaminate. Yeah. Yeah. Con well, contamination is, is a key thing here. And you don't want to, you, you obviously don't want that. So it's a very limited of how people go in. So obviously we're dressed up in those big suits. It's almost one size fits all. Right? And we have little stepping plates. So they're laid on the ground. So in fact, we can put one foot across and walk around, but never actually walk on the carpet or the flooring. All right? it's, it's a way in which we can make sure that we ourselves minimize what it is we are bringing in. In effect, not, not, not much of us. <laughs> right? So there'll be some degree of briefing, but in my experience doing this, is you know, particularly in, in a flat where you might find multiple rooms, different areas, I would make sure I could go around the whole scene, get some idea what I'm looking at, and then start to go down into the more nitty gritty. Now, recording for us, I mean, obviously photographs and videos is brilliant. And actually, it's got so much better now. You can do brilliant things with video recordings that, you know, in the past you couldn't do. We still take notes. And the reason why we take notes is often distances. Some, a distance between one bit of a furniture and a wall. That doesn't come across often in a photo. So we do actually still take lots of quite detailed hand notes to complement photography, video, and the rest of it. So you can get a three-dimensional feel for what the scene Fe is. Indeed, indeed. Now, actually, as I say, some new systems are really good at that 3D, but not always. So we would still take lots of lots of notes of what, where we are, and so, for instance, if I find a spatter pattern on a wall, I'll make sure it's all photographed, but record, where is it? How high up is it starting and, and what sort of size is it? Then I'd be thinking about is the sort of things we can do with something like spatter is, firstly, these are small spots, right? So small spots indicates force. The thing is, you see, if I was to bizarrely cut myself in front of everybody and let blood just drip, 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 like blood dripping from a weapon or from a person. It will land on the ground and make a spot somewhere around the size of a 10 cent piece. That's because of the forces that hold a little blood spot in place. Now, I'm not going to go into the massive physics of this, but it's simply called surface tension, adhesion and cohesion. So you make this spot, and that's what blood wants to be. If you give it force, i.e. you hit into that spot, you will give smaller spots. The smaller the spot, the greater the force. So as soon as you see smaller and smaller blood spots, you know that greater and greater force has been applied. And the further the distance that blood's travelled? Well, indeed, now the distance is an interesting thing. Is actually, all things being relative, a, a larger spot travels further than a smaller spot. You might think that's counterintuitive. But imagine if I've got a pebble in one hand and a grain of sand in the other. And I throw both with exactly the same amount of force. 
grain of sand, pebble. That grain of sand will go very, only a short distance. So when you have very small spots and something like gunshot and um, uh, power tools produces tiny misting, misting travels one and a half meters maximum, unless you've got lots of wind and air conditioning. In, in a still room, about one and a half meters maximum. So when you're looking at that type of thing on a wall, you know that somewhere close to about one and a half meters or within, if you go slightly bigger than demisting, you can start to think, well, maybe that's about two meters, three meters. It's an estimate, but you can work out what distances of how far blood will travel and the forces involved. Now that immediately gives you some indication of how that happened. How does that work just initially if the arm or the limb or whatever is injured is moving in time and space? Well, if things are moving, obviously it's a thing called cast off and you can still see patterns. So if I move my hand very quickly with blood on it, I get a whole series of patterns, but they're one after the other, right? And a crucial word for us is those patterns. But when you look at all of the patterns, they will all start to think about each one as you go make a flick, they will change in length and width. Anything put onto the wall almost at 90 degrees is roundish. As you go more and more acute, they become longer and thinner. That is the case. And what you can do is the width divided by the length. If you measure it, and we don't measure all of them, just a few, width divided by length in millimeters or centimeters, whatever it is, it's got to be less than one because the width is a smaller number than the length. And believe it or not, the inverse sign is the angle of impact. Now that's trigonometry. So you're talking most, fluid dynamics as well. It is. It's the physics fluid of fluid dynamics. It is indeed. But mixed in with a bit of trigonometry. Now you can quickly do it in your head roughly as well. But that will show you if you've got that spatter pattern. What sort of angle? Where did it come from? Now it didn't happen on the wall. It came from somewhere out in space. But we can do a bit of maths as well to work that one out. And that's why I'm saying is when you're going around a, a house, a dwelling... You might find there's a position in space and think, oh, now someone was hit. Now, if you've got those sorts of sizes of bloodstains, you could work out roughly how far from the wall that was. And as you're doing that, you can think, okay, someone got hit here, someone got hit here. Maybe there were different people. I don't know. That's the sort of thing you get briefed on of how many people were in there. Otherwise, you're thinking someone was hit here, here and there. Okay, that starts to reconstruct what it is you're looking at. What about the blood pressure of the person who is injured or wounded? Surely if their blood pressure is very low, they're not going to be losing blood at the same rate. If they're fighting, their adrenaline's going, their blood pressure's faster. Does that have an impact on your interpretation? So it's a very, very good question. Now, in fact, um, almost all the blood we find at crime scenes is actually in the veins. Because your arteries, I mean, there's only about 9% of your blood is in the arteries, if I think, if I remember rightly. Um, it's very different. I thought naively when I started that you'd have like 50-50. It's not the case at all. all right? And all your arteries are really embedded in your body. You, if you look at yourself, all those blue lines you see, they're not arteries. 
The only artery that's exposed in any way is the one in the neck, right? And there's actually one in the inside of your leg called the femoral artery. Now they're relatively close to the surface and can be cut, often by accident, right? Whereas all the other arteries are well inside your body. So when we're looking at blood pattern, that is not arterial. Uh, it is not. And therefore it is not under pressure. It's a passive flow back to it the heart. Indeed, yeah. And I, I've had the misfortune a couple of times to look at arterial blood. And arterial looks so different. It's a different color. It's oxygenated, so it's a brighter red. Almost all the blood I've always looked at is obviously a much darker color. And that's not arterial. So it's not under pressure. It's not affected. It's not another variable for us to look at. But it was a very good question. You think, well, shouldn't it? But it's only if an artery is cut will you see that pressure. And if an artery is cut, well, unfortunately, it's almost very difficult to live from that. And you see one pattern, pump, then a pump, 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 pump. And you see a pattern going up, down, 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 which is classic. As they're bleeding out and the pressure's mm -hmm. reducing. Yeah. And like I say, I mean, here we are, it's, it does sound horrible, right? I mean, this is the reality of doing blood pattern. Someone suffered. Someone lost blood. Yeah. It's not something I glorify in any way at all. Uh, it's something that you had to do to, to, to reconstruct what happened. To try and get justice and to try well, and solve the problem. It's part of the forensic process. Yeah, indeed. How often would you do simulations? And, are you, and what is the purpose of a simulation? Is it to try and find what sort of weapon or what sort of force was required to um, cause the blood spatter? Absolutely. I mean, I, I have been involved with a few cases where, in fact, we did do simulations to try and look at what happened. Now, you weren't there at the scene. You didn't see it happen. So you're looking at the pattern of blood, the size and the shape and the distribution, things like that. Now, that gives you a really good idea. But there's been a couple of times where you're thinking, OK, we've got two conflicting stories. One was a classic case as to whether somebody had actually hit somebody over the head with a tent peg and killed them. Or that person was cradled in their dying moments and hit by someone else unknown and breathed out through the nose at high speed. Their last is called expiratory. And that actually produces small patterns as well. So I was involved in the case of trying to distinguish between these two. Could you? Given the pattern of blood, say it's more likely it's hitting into a source of wet blood or it's blood out the nose. So it's why we would do simulations and, and it has been done in the past. It's really to look at that. Given the size of, and distribution of the blood I'm looking at, what's the most likely way in which it can happen? And I have to stress, you weren't there. You didn't see it happen. You're therefore trying to reconstruct the most likely way it happens. It's got to be guilty beyond reasonable doubt. If there's any doubt on these things, you have to raise it. Say, hmm, it doesn't quite work this way, but potentially it could. Given that there is some subjectivity involved, we have lay juries, lay judges who aren't scientifically trained and certainly not trained in the physics and fluid dynamics. So if you have two different stories and the defence and the prosecutor are telling two different stories and then you have two expert witnesses, how is a jury meant to find their way through that science and actually determine which one is more likely? 
It's a really good question. And I, I don't think blood patterns um, the only area where this can happen, right? Um, because of a subject nature of it, you'd hope that the two blood pattern experts, if they're trained to the same extent, shouldn't come up with dramatically different things. But they may be briefed and to told one set of story compared to another. And so this did happen in a case I was involved with in the UK, where actually in England. And in this case, the jury wrote a note to the judge and said, look, if these two experts can't agree, how on earth can we agree? And it's a good point. It's a very good question. Yeah. And therefore, you know, uh, <laughs> you end up, you can't, you cannot um, uh, bring around a guilty verdict then. It has to be non not guilty. You've mentioned that Glasgow is the murder capital of Europe and the violence and beatings and, and lack of well, lack of relative gunshot wounds compared to beatings and stabbings. How does practising in Australia differ from that? Um, I think in scale, very much in scale. Now, the cases I came across in Glasgow, I mean, much of it was knife crime um, and kicking and beating, largely because it was youth-related and drug-related. That's what we come across so often people selling drugs in the wrong area or gangs in the wrong area. And unfortunately, this was an issue, right? Whereas I think here in Australia, when I've dealt with cases here, it's, it's so few and far between. Here I am in Adelaide. And honestly, you do not come across the cases which I was involved in in Glasgow. There's a similar sort of case scenario, but we still get very few shootings here, very few. I, I, I've done this case. The last training course I did on blood pattern was actually in Jamaica, in Kingston, Jamaica, where in fact that was a bit different. Uh, unfortunately, gun crime was just very common. And that's the sort of thing I come across. So you have to, I've done training courses around the world on blood pattern. You actually have to um, modify it based upon what it is, is the most prevalent in that part of the world. But here in, here in South Australia, and actually in Australia, for goodness sake, we live in a much, much <laughs> crime-reduced area, shall we say. Less violent. Less violent, yes. In terms of gangs and groups, and, yes. and we still obviously have our issues with domestic violence and other... There is domestic violence, but I would say um, forensic science very rarely plays a case in anything domestic. Uh, forensic science is based upon, the fact, when... You're trying to work out, well, who did this? How did this happen? A lot of other alleged cases, you just don't need that forensic science at all. Well, in terms of that influence of our pop culture, we've had a lot of um, pop culture influences from blood spatter patterns as well and analysts. I'm thinking Dexter. The Staircase was a very popular show looking at the... Oh, I know, I watched it, yes. Oh, good, because this is great. How do you watch these shows? Do you like to watch them or do you watch them under duress? And what's your um, what's your opinion of them? Well, firstly, any, any of these um, programs that stimulate people wanting to do science it, it, it has, a, has a plus point, right? Because I do think people should study science. So, but um, you have to study good science. <laughs> Now, CSI, and not many people, I've talked to students nowadays and hardly anyone's heard of CSI. It was something obviously happened maybe 15, 20 years ago, I can't remember. And there was all those spin-offs that happened. 
Um, actually, the blood pattern was actually one of the bits of forensic science they got quite good. Other areas was hopeless, but blood pattern wasn't too bad. Dexter was actually pretty good. Obviously, I can't say I go around killing people as well, but um, the, what the, the demonstration of blood pattern was pretty good, I've got to say on that one. Um, now, I watched The Staircase because obviously it is a well-known case looking at it. The facts of the matter is that somebody, a, a, a mother and a, and, a, and a wife, was found at the bottom of a staircase, dead. As you look at the bottom, moving up the staircase, the next stair, 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 on the wall, there were certain blood patterns. Now, originally it was thought that she had fallen of her own, maybe tripped up, and fallen down the stairs. And in doing so, hit her head on the stairs, right? And, and that causing that blood. The alternative is, is actually she was hit by persons, or person, sorry, a person, at various points leading to her death. So you have two completely stip, um, um, alternative scenarios. To a, and obviously the, you're looking at the pattern of blood. Does it support one scenario more than another? And it's one of those issues when, look, I wasn't there. I'm just looking at the TV program. But it does seem to me that the defense case was pretty far-fetched, right? It's, it, you can't say it did not happen this way, but compared to the alternative, which was put forward by the prosecution, the prosecution looked stronger case than the defence case. Because it was a better story? Well, just looking at how the pattern, looking at the pattern down the staircase, you're thinking, gosh, look, this works really, really effectively. Just looking at that pattern of how it all happened, I'm thinking, well, they lost blood here, here, and here, and here. Hmm. Okay, I can understand how that happens. Now, what's the defence position for this? Hmm. Doesn't entirely fit. If there was one misconception about your work that you'd like to correct, what would it be? Oh, well, you talked about the media and how things happen. Well, firstly, it, you can't do it in 50 minutes. Right, TV programs are very short. It does take time for us to do this. You have to be quite meticulous. You only get one opportunity to do this at crime scenes. You can't go back time and time again. That's not possible for us to do things. Right? So you get it, have to really get it right the first time. So it's something you learn is to be really organised. Before doing it, anything, getting there, make sure you have everything with you Make sure, therefore, you can do your job and leave and it's all done. All right. Um, so the misconception is that it's quite a glamorous job. It's not. It's quite con confronting. It's not for everybody. But um, the upside of it is it does bring closure. We're going to be talking to a lot of different forensic experts in this podcast. And I was just wondering, is there a field that you would have liked to have gone into had you not gone into blood spatter analysis? Not my area at all, but sort of related in biology is really anthropology. I had the amazing experience of working in Sarajevo for a while for the International Red Cross, and we were doing the DNA of linking body parts together. And there were some amazing anthropologists there who look at, could look at different bones 
and piece them together and say, that comes from here, this comes from here, this is left leg, that's a right leg. And I was stunned by their ability to do this. And it answered brilliant questions without having to go to high-tech science. And I thought, gosh, that's, that's something that you can really do if you're just thinking and, and got that skill set of anthropology. So that's, that's the sort of thing I would have been interested in. Brilliant. Look, this has been so interesting. And this is an area that we've seen on television, but I've really, I've never had a chance to talk to somebody who experienced in the field. And I think it's an evolving field as well. The more research and the more we learn, the better. And I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Crime Insiders Forensics is a listener original production. It's hosted by me, Catherine Fox, and is produced by Ed Gooden. Sound design and imaging is by Link Kelly.